This program is brought to you with support from the U.S. EPA. We're here to present the EFC Network Podcast. The Environmental Finance Center Network is a partnership of 12 centers serving 10 EPA regions. The EFCN provides training and technical assistance to small water and wastewater systems. This podcast series has been designed to help system personnel improve technical, managerial, and financial capacity of the utilities and communities they serve. This is our second podcast in the series exploring green infrastructure for small water, wastewater, and stormwater systems and utilities. I'm Shannon Pepper, a research scientist at the Southwest Environmental Finance Center. This episode is a follow-up to our last podcast on green infrastructure, a great conversation with a landscape architect, Susanna Drake, on design theory and strategies to implement green infrastructure at a small and rural scale. Today, I'll talk with Cameron Weber, Habitat Conservation Director for Rio Grande Return, a New Mexico nonprofit organization focused on ecological restoration of wetlands and watershed health. Cameron has boots on the ground experience with green stormwater infrastructure and knowledge of the community organizing efforts that often go into the implementation of green infrastructure. Today, we'll be discussing green stormwater at a small scale in a community that sits alongside the Rio Grande in north central New Mexico. Cameron holds degrees in philosophy and planning. She came to ecological restoration following an early career in organic farm and nursery management and has remained focused on work that reconnects human and natural systems for almost 20 years. At her position as Habitat Conservation Director for Rio Grande Return, she directs projects mainly in the intersection of habitat restoration and agriculture. She's also a dear friend of mine. Cameron, thanks so much for meeting with me today. It's so great to be with you, Shannon. Thanks for inviting me. So I initially had this idea to interview you because you're currently working on a project at the intersection of our careers. The Harvey Jones Channel Bioswale is a green stormwater infrastructure project currently underway in Corrales, New Mexico, just north of Albuquerque. I'd love for you to give a quick overview of that project. But first, let's get clear. What even is a bioswale? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fundamentally, um, a bioswale is an infiltration basin for stormwater, primarily, that is vegetated. So it's linear and long and set below grade so that stormwater is collected and conveyed and that the vegetation included in a bioswale is vegetation that's well suited to the whole range of saturation that the system can experience. Um, so that covers the shape and the function of a bioswale is to clean up that stormwater through the action of soil microbes and the plants so that water leaving a bioswale, whether by conveyance or through infiltration, leaves less polluted than it arrived into the bioswale. It is a form of green infrastructure. Great. And... When we first discussed this interview, I remember you expressed some doubt that this is this particular project is a small systems project because it involves stormwater that's flowing down to Corrales from the small city of Rio Rancho, just upstream. So now I have to ask, what's small about this, the Harvey Jones Channel Biospill project? And why is scale important when we're thinking about water systems? Yeah, I guess I was hesitant to call it small because for New Mexico, at least, the players involved are some of our largest water managers. 
This project is small in footprint, and it does include small water managers for sure. The project is only 10 acres in size, and the engineering impact was not major. It really just consisted of lowering the channel elevation and moving a wastewater outfall location. So this project is about tying together stormwater and wastewater outfall. So part of the increased function here of the stormwater system comes from tying it to a wastewater system. Rio Rancho is big by New Mexico standards, but maybe not by the standards of most other states. It's a city of about 100,000 people. And most of Rio Rancho's water that leaves that area, leaves as stormwater or wastewater, passes through the village of Corrales, which, as you described, lies downslope, mm-hmm. um, downstream from Rio Rancho, between Rio Rancho and, and the Rio Grande. And so Corrales is a small village. It's only a population of about 8,000. So the stormwater that comes down the Harvey Jones Channel, so we're talking about the the Harvey Jones Channel bioswale. The Harvey Jones Channel comes from a watershed covering Rio Rancho and Rio Rancho's Montoyas Arroyo is a major part of the stormwater treatment um, coming off of that major sprawled, pretty impervious footprint of Rio Rancho. Much of that land use is, is, a, is a suburban landscape. So even though this project is only 10 acres in its footprint, it's doing an outsized job of protecting the Rio Grande from water quality problems. And it's also providing really beneficial wildlife habitat. Right. So then what about this particular biosphere project? Who's working on it and who is it for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that this project is the kind that most land managers, most water managers would avoid rather than take up because it sits right on a jurisdictional boundary. So this channel itself, the Montoya Arroyo, um, collects stormwater from a 60 square mile watershed. As I said, primarily a lot of impervious surface, a lot of suburban land use. So that channel means that the city of Rio Rancho, um, which is the third largest city in New Mexico, um, the city of Rio Rancho is involved, the Southern Sandoval County Arroyo Flood Control Authority, mouthful, right? Mm-hmm. That we call SCAPGA. <laughs> and uh, so this stormwater channel passes through our riparian forest, the Bosque. As it leaves Rio Rancho, it goes through the small village of Corrales and the Bosque, and it ends in the Rio Grande, which means that the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District is involved. They're responsible for uh, the water in the river and the adjacent bosque. Then we also have the Bureau of Reclamation as a jurisdictional interest. Besides being a stormwater channel coming down, we also have the treated wastewater from Rio Rancho, and that is contributing at least 4 million 
gallons of treated wastewater per day. So the idea and a lot of the coordination for this project came from Sarah Herto at the Nature Conservancy. And Sarah understood when it became clear that the existing outfall location would have to be moved, Sarah understood that this would be an opportunity to increase the total green infrastructure for this area. My organization, Rio Grande Return, was brought in to evaluate and design riparian vegetation for the channel shape and uh, to maintain channel shape and to provide flood resilience as well as increase the habitat value. So we're really here to help the plants to help protect the infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. And Shannon, I love that you've asked about who it's for. Um, this project is valuable as a demonstration of putting a wastewater outfall flow into a high flow stormwater channel. And doing that here in the desert Southwest really creates a, a next level kind of habitat. Having water outside of our confined river channels provides incredibly valuable habitat. So I would say that the wildlife have been major beneficiaries of this project. Because we're improving water quality, um, I would say that also everyone downstream benefits from improved water quality, human and non-human alike. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So um, let's also talk about, we, we mentioned maybe once or twice, uh, green infrastructure. Can we talk about gray and green approaches to stormwater management? What do those terms mean, gray and green? And how do you see those different approaches playing out here in central New Mexico? Sure. When we're talking about green and gray stormwater management, we're talking about water management. And that really emphasizes water as a problem. And the old way of thinking about these things was to try to get water off the land as quickly as possible. And that results in what we now call gray infrastructure. Mm. Gray infrastructure plays a very important role and probably always will mm -hmm. in terms of protecting lives and property, making sure that engineered designs can accommodate increasingly devastating events, flood events, right? But gray infrastructure is gray because it relies primarily on concrete. And we want to get away from concrete. Concrete manufacturing is not appropriate for our time, our moment in history. It's so carbon intensive. Mm -hmm. Whereas green infrastructure relies on natural systems or engineered systems that mimic natural processes, right? So this is using soils and vegetation to infiltrate or recycle stormwater runoff. It can be rain gardens. It can be porous pavement. It can be anything that basically works to have soil and plants help address water quality. We have pretty interesting contrasts in in this area. I could I could use a couple of examples maybe to develop these. So um, when we're talking about gray infrastructure, 
in New Mexico, one of the things that we maybe have become known for is that a lot of, like LA, a lot of our stormwater systems convey water downslope in concrete as quickly as possible and then go into large retention basins where evaporation is the primary action to reduce flows before they hit the river. Right, because it's contained by that impervious yep, base. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So Albuquerque is great for skateboarding. <laughs> <laughs> but most of the major stormwater conveyance channels in Bernalillo County are aligned, are currently lined with, with concrete. Right. There are reasons for that. In Bernalillo County, stormwater conveyance channels are steeper. Overall, they're coming off of the Sandia Mountains and heading down to the river more rapidly. And I'm going to contrast that with how Sandoval County deals with its stormwater, which is to have as many unlined channels as possible and as many infiltration basins as possible. So the objective is to direct stormwater flow off of roadways and occupied spaces, but then to give it the opportunity to soak and recharge back into the aquifer. We have a shallow aquifer in this area. Right. And that's, I think, really helpful context for, for the Harvey Jones Channel project. What went into the planning for this project and what were the, the drivers that got it going and are still keeping it moving forward? Well, I mean, the planning started with a few folks who individually have worked really hard to lead the way in green stormwater infrastructure, GSI, in New Mexico. And they recognized that if the, if the wastewater outfall needed to be relocated, even by just 20 or 30 feet, which is what has happened, that this would open up an opportunity. So the players involved, they all have a common understanding. We in this part of New Mexico really benefit from a shared common understanding of what our challenges are here in terms of, of water quality and stormwater. We have that common understanding mainly, I would say, um, due to the fact that we have one of just a handful of watershed-based MS4 permits. So um, that's the Municipal Separate Stormwater System permit that is required under the NPDES permits designated by the EPA. So in our case here, in this part of New Mexico, we have a watershed-based MS4 permit. That means that instead of each entity in our area, instead of them dealing with pollutant sources on a discharge-by-discharge discharge basis, we have 18 potential permittees or operators who collaborate to uh, model, plan, and meet common stormwater quality goals. And because we're all in it together, it's much easier for each of these entities to share credit for good work <laughs> and to celebrate each other's work and to be curious about new methods that might have co-benefits for other entities, other operators. And this bioswale that's um, connected to groundwater and fed by wastewater outflow 
and also it, it is connected to the Rio Grande directly. Mm-hmm. So when the river rises with snowmelt in spring, the bioswale creates a backwater that with the right water quality and the right vegetation, that becomes really key critical habitat for endangered species like the Rio Grande silvery minnow at just the right time for spawning. Mm-hmm. So we can consider the site in isolation and evaluate the project for its direct, immediate influence on water quality. Uh, it, it is a better way to direct our wastewater into our major river. But if we see this as also adding new refuge to the habitat corridor that we live along, uh, the aquatic corridors and the corridors of our bosque, these are just a few co-benefits of thinking at the landscape scale. By adding this bioswale as the downstream infrastructure in a water treatment system, that makes the stormwater channel more climate ready. So this is ecological thinking. And when when we're using ecological thinking, that means we look for projects that can provide compounding and amplifying benefits more beneficiaries, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, I do want to talk with you also a little bit more about Corrales, which is the town where this is happening. Mm-hmm. You also live there, so you have some very intimate knowledge of this particular project site. Can you tell me a little bit more about Corrales and its challenges around water, wastewater, and, and stormwater management? The village of Corrales, like I said, it's about 8,000 residents. Corrales is a village on a mix of old sand dunes and on riparian uh, forest. And in between that is a a corridor of old farms and orchards, or that's what this place was just a couple of decades ago. So Corrales has one acre lot minimum size and no wastewater treatment facility and no drinking water supply. So everyone here in Corrales is on a well and a septic, and that's a dispersed system, right? So we're within a few hundred feet right at my house. We're a few hundred feet from the river. It's a shallow aquifer. So we're dealing with the potential for this increasing density of septic systems to have negative impacts on the water quality of our of our groundwater. In this area, groundwater and surface water are constantly changing places. So negative impacts to our groundwater translate to problems with drinking water, problems with agricultural water. I should explain too mm-hmm. that The acequias, which are several hundred-year-old hand-built passive irrigation ditches that allow for a diversion of water out of the Rio Grande to flow through a system of channels and checks to provide summer season irrigation water for farming. Then what is your and Rio Grande Returns role out there in the construction of this particular bias well, what are you planning and, and managing for? Mm-hmm. 
so we are going to return um, was asked to help develop the planting plan. So, um, and then currently I'm, I'm working on a vegetation management plan for this project that will be common to all of these different land managers that I mm -hmm. mentioned. And uh, our role out there in the construction really was to look at the site when it was raw, when the excavation had just occurred and to evaluate what what was the riparian and wetland vegetation that would be most likely to support the function and resilience of the bioswale of the project. And so our, our crew from the restoration program at Rio Grande Return did the willow and cottonwood planting in February of this year. And it has done very well. It has just exploded with growth and I'm excited for you to see it. The willows that we planted in particular, they are a major part of what we're managing for, right? Mm -hmm. The willows, they hold these fairly steep banks of the, the carved channel of the bioswale in place. And um, that's important when the sediment is, is coarse and there's a, a constant flow, which is coming from the, the wastewater outflow. Mm -hmm. So willows really, they, they create a net of roots and without them, without the willows holding the channel in place, we could see a lot of erosion. Mm -hmm. The willow also provides deep shade to the water, which helps to cool it. Um, we want to make sure that wastewater is cooled down significantly before it reaches the Rio Grande. That's a water quality measure. We're also you know, concerned about wanting to make sure that there's not an experience of shock of temperature, right? Mm -hmm. Between the in aquatic invertebrates that are living in the adjacent riparian zone of the Rio Grande, if we're going to get them to come in and, and help with the action of, of water treatment in this bioswale, we want to make sure that the water is cooled and the willows do that very well. Uh, other things that we're planning for this site are our species diversity and besides maintaining the function, the shape of the bioswale, uh, we're going to be monitoring for presence of, of a, a variety of species. So species that, including the threatened and endangered species, and we're going to be monitoring for water quality and coordination with, with SCAFCA. My job in developing this this vegetation management plan is to make sure that even in very dry years, very dry winters, especially can be hard on these riparian systems that they're, that the system continues to support um, function and wildlife diversity. Mm -hmm. So that means managing for continuing to move through that ecological recovery succession. Okay, well now I'm really excited to go see this site and this project for myself. I think that being there will allow us to experience what's happening there on the ground and, and be able to share that with, with everyone who's listening. Will you take me for a walk around this, this bioswale in progress? Of course, let's go. Great. So as we're coming down here, we're seeing a lot of water coming out at this. What is this big 
piece of <laughs> concrete here. Yeah, this is the outfall. And actually, cool. we were just walking down this hill, which is on top of a huge pipe that brings down between four and five million gallons of treated wastewater daily. Cool. So this is the outflow location. And we can walk right over there to where the outfall location had been. And you can okay. see it's not very far, but the outfall was just um, moved up pipe and directed to, to outflow toward the north instead of toward the east. Right, that, toward the river. Right. So now it's pointing sort of parallel to the river upstream. Upstream, which allows us to create this long meander and a backwater. Okay. Yeah. Well-loved trail. Yeah, a sweet little trail. There's yeah. bike tracks. There's horse poop. <laughs> so now this is where everybody pops up out of the bosque, out of the forest. You know, you pop up onto this little hill and all of a sudden now there's a, right. a waterfall with <laughs> a, a wet channel. Right. So what are we looking at here? Is okay. this the old this outfall? Is, yes, this is the old outfall. And you can see lots of riprap. Um, this bank was eroding badly during high flow events. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, that was putting the, the whole system sort of in, into danger. However, this was a pretty nice little pocket of wetland. And I feel like this gave a good indication of what could be expanded. So mm. now if you can see through there at all, well, we can walk down there, yeah. but like, if you can see through there at all, one of the channels that comes off of the new the new outflow, one of the channels does pass back through this wet area. So rather than having just a new single channel, project designers included a second channel that would reconnect the new channel with this existing wetland. Got it. And so it's a it's stayed wet and uh, continues to have like probably you know, some of the highest diversity and like density of vegetation in here. This little area that we're looking at. Yeah, we can, go, yeah. we can go right down there and okay, you can great. see. So this is a bit of a backwater. You can see this is, this is got some pondweed and other, you know, some aquatic evidence, but this is pretty low oxygen environment, low right. dissolved oxygen environment. So not really ideal for aquatic invertebrates or a lot of fish or other right. you know amphibians other things right. that would generally find a pool in new mexico of standing water and be happy about it right but this is fairly low dissolved oxygen and that's because this portion of the area has been in standing water for so long so this is basically at the same level as as the groundwater Got it. Because it's supported, it's been supported by the outfall all this time. So this mm -hmm. is this is roughly unchanged. So I guess you can you can use this as a comparison. So you know, pondweed, some algae, obviously happy birds and mm -hmm. other creatures in here, but but you know, some drawbacks too. Not what it maybe could be. Right, right. What do you hope for this? area like what do you hope will kind of happen over time or what would you maybe not hope but like mm -hmm. plan for design for in this area i i would think that more large wetland plants that can that can help with this sort of with a ponded feature um so 
we'll, we'll try to install uh, some more rushes, wetland plants that can handle this mm. um, kind of water that, right. I, I mean, having this open water is, is valuable for some species, but it's also going to fill in now that it's not getting so much influence from changes in, in peak flow events. Uh, right. It's going to fill in with a lot of organics mm -hmm. and build up that floor in that in this pool over time. Yeah, I love how how dynamic this space feels. It's like the places where we've paused so far all feel a bit different. <laughs> it's a like, lot packed into ten little acres. Right. What would you call this like well, like standing water so area. this is the conf, the, the, you know, this is about to be the sort of branching of, we've got the main stormwater channel right. coming down from the Montoya Sorroyo. Right. And it flattens out, widens here, um, just before it's going to meet up with our new channel, right? So right. this this part of the channel was... Uh, deepened and widened to um, increase capacity, but also increase the bank mm. uh, for for certain vegetation. So mm -hmm. we've got, oh gosh, a lot of a lot of juncus, a lot of different sedges, rushes on the edges here, mm -hmm. uh, wetland grasses. There are is a whole group of brand new uh, Rio Grande cottonwood seedlings that yeah, have germinated on this area over there. There's That's... some right in front of us here too yeah, in this little totally. willow stand. Yeah. Yep. So there's Nebraska rush over there. We've got lots of sunflowers and other asters um, that are late season for pollinators here. Right. Got pondweed here. So the basic hydrology of this system is that that this used to be this was immediately adjacent to the river right and every year nearly every year the snowmelt runoff would cause the river to jump its banks and flood this whole area right you know so when i say this whole area i'm talking like an additional 200 feet off of what is now the river's very hardened bank right, right? so now the Rio Grande is has been channelized. It's downcut. This section of the Rio Grande is one of the most incised sections uh, of the river. Mm -hmm. So meaning it's so deeply entrenched that it's been a very long time since the river has ever has been able to jump out of its banks and right. and rewet the floodplain. Right. So we have remnant floodplain populations of coyote willow and Rio Grande cottonwood, but the plants that are doing well in this area are upland species, mm -hmm. upland shrubs. By bringing this channel back into this floodplain, what's happening is this whole area is going to raise the groundwater table underneath mm -hmm. this perched floodplain and a lot of these plants are already showing a re-wetting response. Mm. So you see how these willow that are 
a little bit closer to the new channel are bouncing back. Right, back. looking um, south here, as you're saying, right next to the to the sound of the flowing water are is a huge abundant growth of of willow. And then I'm looking just maybe 10 or 20 feet up from that water and it looks like everything sort of died back. Mm -hmm. But is it really dead? Like, it looks dead, but no, it's not well, dead. Well, <laughs> I mean, a lot of the above ground growth is, is dry. Right. But this kind of willow really needs new growth activation. It needs to be nibbled on by beavers, and it needs mm -hmm. to be laid down by a flood, and, mm -hmm. and basically it needs to be disturbed uh, periodically for new, new growth to sprout from the roots. And so a lot of this has become decadent because it hasn't received some kind of disturbance and right. uh, that disturbance can be a flood or it can be you know a flood that that wicks m suddenly and up from the bottom which is probably what will have happen right. here it can re resaturate all those stems and they'll set off to growing again right or it can be being washed over and laid down by a, a large flood covered up with sand and then they have to grow back through all of that. Mm. So they thrive. They thrive upon this. <laughs> they do. This sort of violent disturbance. <laughs> they do. <laughs> wow, it's so lovely. I knew it was going to be beautiful, but I didn't know it was going to be this beautiful. <laughs> Just after like one season of growth, really. And is that? box there is that um a bird box that's a bat box a bat box yes that's nice remember when we were here looking at the property next door we were talking about the problem of mosquitoes here right <laughs> so skafka the flood control authority has put up bat boxes all over the place i love that in order to help Mosquito control. Mosquito control. Seems like a good PR campaign. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, little lizard. Oh. Okay, we can cross here. Okay, lots of little plants that are so nice to see, but junkus and rushes mm -hmm. all already here. We didn't plant those. They've shown up because this is their kind of place. Look at that fun. Ooh, that is really fun. Yeah, it's a wild cucurbit. With of the cucumber family? Yes. Ah. With crazy with spiky. With crazy spikes. <laughs> and they have lovely little yellow flowers. Maybe that's who is making the ripples, huh? I think so, yeah. Great blue heron. I'm glad it didn't spook too far. It's just crossing the river is all. I mean, it is kind of crazy to see just that this little, I mean, this channel is contributing a significant amount of water. 
and it's, it looks especially dramatic right now because the the river's quite low and you know you can see that the mud where the river would has has been flowing this summer over monsoon season is it's exposed at this point yeah yeah so as the as the river goes down this adjacent channel becomes a refuge for aquatics to head upstream mm. and because it's a perennial constant source of flow this becomes that refuge for them but also when the river is up really high this becomes a backwater a place for um, high flow events in the in the Rio Grande that are not coming down the Montoyas Arroyo will raise the river level and that flow will then flow back upstream into this constructed channel, this bioswale, and uh, that'll help reduce total velocities in the Rio Grande downstream. So that's sediment transport and everything like that. Right. Um, because Albuquerque is just right there, and for part of the year, the Rio Grande is our drinking water supply. Right. So, so yeah, it'll serve as a backwater and all those aquatics can head upstream in here where there's lower velocities for small creatures that can't handle a flood event in the Rio Grande that's right. such a confined channel. Right. Oh, there was something very fast and yellow <laughs> just like dove into this willow here. Mm. So keep hearing, I think it's uh, one of those summer tanagers. Mm -hmm. Some kind of tanager. Okay, so I also have a question about an important part of green infrastructure that is often overlooked. What does the operations and maintenance, or O&M as we like to call it, look like for this kind of site? And how do you monitor it? How do you know that it's successful? Mm-hmm. Well, my job as their vegetation person might be a little bit different from what the what the flood control authority is going to handle in terms of operations and maintenance. So, um, but their their engineered design plan for this site allowed for high flow events to interact coming down the stormwater channel. High flow events to interact with the the bioswale, but uh, not to damage it. And so our vegetation plan is meant to give that design greater support. But I will say that what we're doing right now in terms of this field recording is a form of monitoring for a site like this that I would really love to do more of. I'm not currently able to use or haven't been using what's called bioacoustics also called wildlife acoustic monitoring. And it would take some additional resources for, for a project like this, but it consists of, of using sound recordings taken in the field to infer um, the diversity, abundance, or behavior of animals. And so, unfortunately, this is a method that really has been used, I mean, maybe not unfortunately, but this is a method that's been used mostly so far to document how places are going silent. 
like in the defaunizing, mm -hmm. I believe the word mm -hmm. is. Um, so the emptying out of a place mm. where you hear fewer voices of animals, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And activity. So mm -hmm. it documents wildlife decline. But in this project, I'd love to see whether the trend is in the other direction, right? That mm -hmm. That is a goal of this project, is that there would be more life here, more buzz. And when you're, you know, when you're making a bioswale, that vibrancy, that the, the level of occupation by all of the critters is what helps translate into healthier water downstream, improved water quality, because this is dependent on an ecosystem developing here. That biological action of the soil microbes feeds the aquatic invertebrates, which, you know, feed the birds. And if we can understand that there are far more birds and a greater diversity of birds and fish, we can understand that we're getting more function from the bioswale. So sound recordings are a cool new tool, I think they would be an interesting tool for others to use when they're dealing with a bioswale. But our, our techniques um, for monitoring include vegetation monitoring. We're actually working on carbon sequestration evaluations, which this site is not doing, but that's uh, something else that Rio Grande Return is working on. So we want to get a better understanding of when we improve and create wetlands in places that are otherwise degraded what's the impact in terms of carbon sequestration okay yeah i mean maybe this podcast will will be able to serve as an an auditory snapshot of this place at, oh, at this particular absolutely. stage <laughs> and it's gonna keep changing so i'm definitely gonna have to keep coming back because now i'm invested <laughs> <laughs> thank you cameron so much for talking with me and, and walking me through this site it's my pleasure. Thank you for coming out, Shannon. And thanks also to all the partners involved in making this project happen, including the ecological community that we're hearing here today. Mm. Yes, thanks to our partners. <laughs> Thank you to all our listeners for tuning into this episode of the EFC Network Podcast, brought to you with support from the U.S. EPA. Be sure to stay tuned for future EFC Network podcast episodes.